Hello and welcome to HBC's M5 Podcast. It is that time every Monday morning where we talk about the music, the ministry, the mission, yesterday's message, and whatever else is on your mind. And I am your host, John Wilson, and we are here as always with our audio engineer extraordinaire, Miss Becca Smith, and a special guest, Pastor Aaron Wallace. Aaron, it's been a long time since we've had you on the podcast. It has been. There's been much mayhem in my life, so I'm <laughs> glad to be well and be back. And, and we and we enjoy it. And I, one of the things I'm really excited about um, about having you today is to be able to talk about uh, yesterday's message. And we'll get to that in a minute, But because I, I, I think this is one of the reasons that we set out doing this was there's just for me there's so much good stuff that we that we don't get time to really dig into uh in a sermon i mean in a in a text when uh when you're preaching through it even i mean i know people don't believe this but even in 50 minutes there is stuff that we leave uncovered um and so it's just i think a lot of fun to to dig into some of those topics and really just uh see how they apply to our lives and and give people an extra chance to to hear and to and to think about some of those things so i'm excited about that before we do that though i wanted to talk about yesterday's uh leadership luncheon uh for those of you guys that uh that don't know if you're listening to this podcast uh yesterday we had uh, pretty much every every leader from Hepzibah in the room at the same time, and uh, I gotta admit, and I, I'll admit this with my boss sitting here, that uh, when when we we cooked up this idea uh, in one of our staff meetings, we wanted to get everybody together at the same time. Uh, it seemed really plausible, but then logistically, we started to figure out that. Uh, the 200 people is a lot of, is it's a lot lot of people. Uh, it's not just a lot of people to feed. It is a lot of people to feed, but it's it's a lot of people. There is a lot of leadership uh, that is happening around this church. And I know that there was some families that, uh, that just couldn't be there for whatever reason, but to have that many people in the same place that are leading all across this church and so many of them who, you know, potentially are leading in different departments or never are in different hours, don't get to see each other, to have everybody in the same room at the same time, uh, was was really kind of amazing. I, I'm just curious, like what were what were your thoughts on um, what were your thoughts on on the afternoon? Anything that was kind of just a big moment for you, just as you got to to see it and and kind of absorb it all. Well, I think one of the things about being a, a church the size of Hepzibah is it's hard to see everything together collectively. You know, having multiple services and multiple Sunday schools and connect groups, and and you know, you just have. Wednesday nights and, and all these different events and all these different things. And one is, you know, it, it's rare that you really stop and consider the amount of people that it takes to have that happen. Mm. And so obviously the way the scripture talks about it is that we're a body of believers and each part is to fulfill its purpose. And we're blessed at Hepsbo because there are many, many churches out there that, that really struggle to find leadership or even uh, the idea that, you know, uh, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and you look out at Hepzibah and to see all those faces and all those people that uh, have committed themselves to ministry and not just one person in the family, but you look and the husband's serving, the wife serving, the teenagers in the room, uh, many of them are serving in different capacities. And we're just blessed at Hepzibah. People see their gifts. They see uh, Lord, uh, they see the opportunities to serve the Lord, and they're willing. And uh, so, pastoring a church of so many willing people is an amazing thing. And it just uh, stirred my heart yesterday 
to see it together, you know, to get everybody in that room allows us to kind of be overwhelmed by exactly what God's doing here. Yeah, it really is. It, it is It is amazing. And I think also it's, you know, it's beautiful. Like you, you talked about, you know, as as each of us are, are recipients of, of God's manifold grace of the different giftings that he has given us. And, you know, I think that the beauty of of that reference is that God has given to us different things that uh, exemplify his character. And we see who God is differently in each of us because of the way that he's gifted us and he's given it to us in different degrees. And so that we are all interdependent on each other. And I think there, I think there is something beautiful about not 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, but every person having a part uh, in God's kingdom work, because the truth is, is if 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 we're saved, if we're redeemed, if we're called by His name, then there is something that He has created us for, some good work that is in front of us that that we should walk in, and it and it looks different for each person, and we need everybody uh, differently. And I think in a room like that, you get to you get to really see the beauty of that. Yeah, it really is the key to ministry is realizing that there are those things that are upfront ministries that most people think of when they think how they're going to serve the church. We have to be a teacher, or you have to be singing on stage, or you have to be in ministry as a pastor. And the reality is, um, there is no unimportant task in the kingdom. Um, every single thing matters and counts. Um, if we didn't have the greeters, it would be a totally different feel on Sunday mornings. We would hardly be able to retain people because they'd walk in and not be seen. And people want to be seen, and they mm -hmm. want to be known, and they want to be welcomed. And nobody likes going in a building and having no clue where they are. Um, and you know, they don't know people, and it's it's nerve-wracking that first day. Those people that, that do things like uh, first impressions, it, it's amazing. Um, it, next Steps is amazing. Um, all the things that we do that are kind of the first touch of the community, um, there are many people that would not be here if it weren't for MOPS uh, in a ministry like that. And so... Um, or it's not mops it's, anymore. It's M3. It? It's, it's M3, M3 now. now. That's okay. That's okay. We'll give <laughs> you that one. As soon as I said it, I was like, that's not right. Uh, yeah, uh, things like M3. M mom's molding moms. Mom that's a quick plug for I, that. Yeah, I absolutely knew that was what it was. Um, but, you know, those ministries are, are ways that families are changed forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so all the things that occur on this campus work together to uh, see God grow or see the kingdom grow to see God glorified. So it's just a, uh, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of people who would, you know, hear something like this even, or, or just think about uh, a leadership luncheon and they, and they automatically put themselves in the category of like, I could never do that. I could never be in front of people. I could never, you know, sing on a platform. Maybe God has gifted them with the ability to sing, but they just couldn't see themselves doing that. Or I could never, you know, teach a, you know, a Sunday school room or a connect group room or, or a whole worship room full of people. I couldn't do that. And yet what we miss is, I think sometimes is that leadership sometimes is just one person at a time. Like it is literally just, can you come alongside one other person that, that needs you to be a discipler in their life, and can you pour into them, uh, and can you take them from where you were to where you are? I mean, it's just being a little bit ahead of somebody in your Christian walk, uh, and then be being willing to to reach back and grab their hand and pull them along with you. And so I, I think that there's a great beauty when we look at it that way. And when we see that there is really a role for every single person to play. And yesterday was such a great example of that. I think before we, before we talk about your message, the one thing that I, just for our listeners, I, I shared this with, uh, with our leaders at the luncheon. Um, but, uh, the the stats are just absolutely staggering for, um, for the impact that, 
that Hepzibah has had on this community, that the Lord has has blessed us uh, with this opportunity of a, of a growing community, of uh, just being in the place that we are 215 years later and just sustaining us. But it, it is amazing when you look at what happens week in and week out. And uh, and I'll share it with you guys that are listening. Last year, um, last year we had 899 uh, new people that we somehow had a contact with. Now that that again, this is such a picture of the body doing what the body does because some of that is VBS. Some of that is kids that uh, that came on this campus for a VBS that otherwise hadn't been here before, or for a jam camp, or for a community event that we hosted. And some of it is Sunday morning. Uh, visitors, and some of it is people come into a discipleship class on on Wednesday night, and some of it is all of those things, right? That That's our hope, right, is that somebody would come to one of those things, and that would result in their regular, uh, their regular Sunday morning attendance and being really connected with the body. But 899 people is a lot of people uh, for us to have come into contact with uh, in this past year that were new to us. And then the other one that I thought was just um, staggering to me is that when you add up all the times that the doors are open and the people that are here, we had an opportunity to make, you know, an impression to teach the Bible to, to disciple, to walk with twenty nine thousand, like nine hundred and thirty three people. That that is just really insane. When you and and I think it kind of goes to what you're saying because it's very rare that we can look at the whole picture and go, this is what a year in the life of the ministry uh, at HBC looks like. And you know we're we're a small town church. I mean, that's really who we are. Uh, Wendell is a, is a tiny little place. When this church was founded, there was really wasn't much here at all. Um, it was just a crossroads. And yet God is growing this place and God is, is helping for whatever reason to his glory, us to have an outsized impact on the world that's around us. And I think sometimes it's, it's good to, to, to just look at that and go, Wow, God is is doing some really amazing things in our day and on, in our age. I don't know if you had anything that you that, that that causes you to think about. Well, I think one of the things that comes to mind first is, you know, the missional change that's happened in Hepzibah. I think that's what happens when a church goes from being inward focused to outward focused. Um, we've put a lot of energy and effort into ministering to the community and to being sure that we're reaching out to. You know, not just those that are our neighbors, those that are around the world. Uh, we've been seeking to plant churches, and I think as that becomes the norm inside a church and we, we seek to advance the kingdom, I really believe that that's exactly what should be occurring. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we ought to see happening in the life of our church is more and more guests coming because they've got to be invited. You know, not only do they have to be invited, but that means we've got to go into the community. One of the things I really hope to see this year that maybe is different from the years past is we've got to get into these neighborhoods. I, I drive around, you know, every day and, and I see a new neighborhood. I see new apartments. I see really new opportunities for us uh, to go and, and make an invitation to these people, both to come be part of Hepzibah, but more than that, uh, we need to make an invitation for them to, to know Jesus and to be bold in our mm. witness in this community. And so uh, I think in some ways we've taken good steps, but there's more steps that we need to take. Uh, to see those numbers increase more and more. And one of the things I hope as well is that people see that, you know, 899 people or kind of touches that have occurred over the year, you know, we also got to look at retainment and, yep. and, you know, have we assimilated them into this body and, and are we effectively um, reaching back out to these people that have in some way reached out to us? And so uh, there's still a, a lot to do, mm-hmm. but praise God for what he's doing and the steps that we're taking. It's all part of our growth 
it's all part of the direction we're taking. Uh, these are steps for us, and uh, I just pray we see the harvest and uh, the possibilities. Yeah, I love that, and and I think that there's one of the I think regular topics of conversation among um, you know myself and Blake and Kevin, and just among all of us on the pastoral staff is just just thinking about the responsibility that we have to actually shepherd those people, and and just recognizing that. All of those people, those 899 that you mentioned, there there are people that God has brought to us, and you know, are we? And and I, when I say you know our responsibility to shepherd, I don't mean the four of us trying to figure out how to you know manage 899 new people. That's I, I think hopefully everybody that's listening to this can understand that that's that's not a task that that one person can do to care for 200 uh, plus people that have no connection really. It, when when I think about are we shepherding them, it's are we raising up leaders? Do we have teams in place? Does everybody see the call of discipleship on their life, and are they willing to connect with one of these people and walk with them and care for them? And do we have connect groups in place so that uh, they get plugged into a place? And are we caring for their kids and discipling their kids? Are they being fed the word? Like all of that is a responsibility that I think is is significant when we really think about it, that the Lord has charged this church with the responsibility for those people that he has brought to us already. And I know a lot of times when we think about growing uh, and we, and we want to see more people reached, like it's a good thing, but there is also a, a very real element of the more people he brings to us, the more responsibility we have, the more, the more burden there is for us to actually care for those people. Yeah, Our, our vision isn't come and then go. <laughs> come in the front door, go out the back door. Um, what we are wanting is, uh, you know, this is a perfect application of the vision that we've had and the things that we've been seeking to do over all these years is to have them come to Hepzibah, and then how do we connect them? And then how do we get them serving? And how do we get them on mission? And so, you know, if we, if we trip out of the gate on that first thing, you know, it's going to be almost impossible for us to do the, the next two things. So we've got to find these people, build the relationships with them, help them assimilate, help them be part of this family and part of this body and get them connected and get them growing and get them being disciple. Cause this is a discipleship issue. It's, it's not a visitation issue. It's not a uh, assimilation issue. Technically these for, for us are discipleship issues. Christ has brought these people to us. Um, and are we evangelizing them? Are we baptizing them? Are we teaching them all that he's commanded and sending them back out? And so that's got to be our strategy. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And and I think that, yeah, sometimes we're quick to, to pray, whether we're in a connect group or whether, you know, wh- whatever it is, we're, we're quick to pray for our group to grow, um, whether it's the whole church or connect group or a, a, some our care group within a connect group or just some specific ministry, we're quick to pray for it to grow. But are we prepared to to actually walk with the people the Lord brings to us when he, when he grows it, when he responds to that. I think sometimes we're, you know, we're ready for the one, but not the other. Um, and we, we gotta be ready. I think that's, if I, if I heard anything in, in what you said, and if there's anything that's been on my mind, it's like, we, we, we've gotta be ready for the people that the Lord is bringing to us. We can't just, we, you know, we can't just grow because, you know, people are moving to the area or, you know, neighborhoods are being built or all of those things because those are going to be people that are not 
they're not discipled if we're not prepared to disciple them. And, and you're right, it would just be come and go. They would come in the front door and they'd go out the back door without ever, uh, without ever being engaged and discipled. And, uh, and I think we got to be ready for that task. Uh, one more quick question before we talk about yesterday's message. I, I really, I'm excited to dig into John chapter eight, but uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we did a new things for the new year podcast, and we just kind of talked about some of the new things that are coming. And I thought since we had you here and, you know, since you get to see everything that's going on all across the church and also the way that uh, the church has been engaging other pastors in the community and, and all of those sort of things, you, you really get to see the whole picture. What are you most excited about for the new year? What what things that you see on the horizon for Hepzibah? causes you to still get up and come to work every day after 25 years? Like, what what are you ready uh, to see happen this year? Well, most days I'm ready to take a nap, to be honest. <laughs> um, no, I am excited to come back, and, uh, and I'm excited after 25 years for the things that God's doing here. You know, for me, uh, continuing with the 2020 vision, uh, I'm excited because I see uh, Shine continuing to thrive. They're about in their fifth year or fourth year now, and they're hopefully moving towards uh, replanting uh, again, and you know, I look at Josh over at Bridgepoint having a conversation with him the other day. I mean, he's chomping at the bit uh, to raise up leaders so that he can send out uh, a new church. And you know, the thought that we could plant 20, and I really believe we're going to blow by 20, 20 churches in 20 years still excites me and gets me out of bed every day, you know, knowing that we've got planters ready to go with a Hispanic church plant mm. here at Hepsiba in the new year uh, is exciting. Um, it's going to involve. Uh, hopefully not just our church, but hopefully there'll be other churches that will engage and help us in this ministry. And I think uh, ultimately one of the things that's exciting about what's happening in Hepzibah is that God's using Hepzibah in ways I don't think Hepzibah fully understands. Um, there are ways and opportunities with the state convention, with ACN Network, uh, even working through our association with revitalizations. There are so many ways that that God is using Hepzibah even beyond Hepzibah. And uh, I think in the end, what we're going to see is our sending capacity just continuing to grow and grow and grow. And so yesterday we shared with the people that one of our big goals next year is to see 600 people uh, attending here at Hepzibah on Sunday mornings. That would put us back probably right where we were when we started planting. We've sent out about 200, um, and that would get us right back to that place. And, and that's important because we kind of want to reload, right? We yeah. want to fire the gun again and see more church plants uh, coming out of Hepzibah and 2025, 2026, and that's going to be dependent on our growth. It's not, are we going to plant or, or, or are we going to send or are we going to grow here at Hepzibah? One has to happen so that the other can happen. We've got to see growth here. We've got to see people being discipled here, leaders being trained here, so that in a year we can launch again and send out some of our best leaders. I mean, when you think about what happened the other day with the leadership being in one room, Imagine if we had the 200 we sent out. I, that was my thought was we have as many not sitting in this room as we do sitting in this room that, that have left Hepzibah strong, great leaders, and to see them already uh, being, I guess, replaced is a bad way to put it, but I can't think of another word, you know, seeing them already replaced here at Hepzibah with new musicians and new teachers and, and new folks who are doing first impressions and all these other ministries, uh, it's a testament to how the church is supposed to work. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's such a great point, and and I do think that if our goal is really longevity, like if our goal is really really to continue on this church planting journey and plant twenty churches in the next twenty years, then we have to we have to prepare appropriately, 
Um, and we have to make sure that, that we're ready to keep doing this. And uh, you know, one of the things that I think about often is, you know, the, the first round of church plants that we launched. I mean, we had years and years and years of ministry to prepare those leaders. And so there were people ready. You know, they, they might not all of them knew that they were ready until somebody moved out of the way and, and they stepped up. But there were people that were being prepared over years and decades and were ready. Uh, if we think that we're going to keep doing this, then we have to actually do that same process over again and prepare all of those people and keep doing it and do it quicker, uh, and do it quicker uh, so that we're ready so that we're ready to launch them. OK, well, I, I hope you guys I hope you really heard that. I hope you heard what Aaron said about uh, about growing even just our Sunday morning attendance. I know that that. Uh, that's something that we've been having a lot of conversation about, and it seems like one of those things that is, you know, people just don't like to say. Nobody wants to say we want to grow our Sunday morning in attendance to an average of 600. But what what we have to realize is that what what we're really saying is we want to take those 899 people that we've somehow made an impression on, and we want to get them to actually stick around, and we want to disciple them, and we want to pour the word of God in them, and we want to see them if they're not believers, we want to see them come to faith, and we want to teach them how to disciple others. And so, it, you know, if and send them out. And and so it, it feels kind of icky to say we want to grow to 600 on a Sunday morning, but what we got to realize is that that is part of how we're faithful to the people that the Lord has brought us, and that is how we're going to keep sending people. We're not going to grow just to hold them. We're going to grow to to send them. So thank you so much for sharing that. All right, I, I have teased it enough. On to John chapter 8. I know that uh, I know that I said I really wanted to talk about this, and I do, and I, I, I love uh, just the depth of the story. I, th- I think one of the things that just struck me is, like, it's it's got to be challenging to teach a story that people are so familiar with, like, to, to spend time exegeting a text when people are like, yeah, I know that story. Like, we, wa- we watched the video clip, like, it's been made into, you know, multiple different, you know, little clippets or into entire movies, and and people have heard it if they've been in the church any amount of time. They've heard the story before and been taught it. What is it like to teach something that you're that people are instantly going to recognize and are really familiar with? Well, I can tell you, first and foremost, I don't ever try to uh, think that it's up to me to make the text interesting. Um the, the, the gospel is relevant. These stories need to be told and heard over and over mm. and over again, because while we may know them, it doesn't mean that they've really found their way into our hearts and into the way that we live and in a way that it's impacting our lives. And so uh, continuing to tell these important stories, and, and that is a, an important one because it's such a story of grace. Um, if there was ever a picture of someone who needed grace, it was that woman caught in adultery. I can't imagine uh, what she must have felt. I can't imagine mm. how destroyed she must have been as she was cast down there at the feet of Jesus and everyone calling for her life. And she must have thought it was absolutely over and she must have been thinking, I deserve it. And to, to see Jesus love her and show compassion to her. Um, a story like that ought never get old. I mean, that, that ought to continually prick our heart and make us uh, see the world differently, to see people the way that Jesus sees people not as uh, ruined, not as uh, useless, not as uh, unlovable, but to see that the gospel brings dead things back to life, and the gospel is hope, and the gospel is life for us. And and so uh, that story just beautif- beautifully illustrates it. I, I don't know that I was even concerned about bringing it again, because <laughs> uh, it's just powerful. Yeah, I think, I think that 
the thing that even just as you were you were saying that struck me is like you know there's a lot of um i think from a teaching perspective there's a lot of temptations in this story to to one embellish things that that aren't there but i think the other risk is like when we just read it and we don't put ourselves in you know in the shoes of this woman and in the sh- and and also in the shoes of the religious leaders because you know like what was going through their minds what was like like we're we're probably we want to identify with the woman but really most of us probably ought to identify with the religious leaders i mean we want to identify with the person who receives the grace but really the the i think the story is given to most of us for us to identify with the people who withhold the grace and who have i, I love how you put it yesterday like they have no idea of this woman's story that they don't even care what her name is like for for them she is just somebody that they can exert exert their self-righteousness over and that makes them feel better about themselves and of course in this case they also wanted to use her to, to trap Jesus but i think the reason that this was such a I mean, such an easy thing for them to do is because they were just used to, you know, being self-righteous over other people and looking down on them and having zero concern for who they are or what they are going through. And I just love the way that you that you just pulled that out of the story. It's it's obviously clearly there, but sometimes we just read over stuff like that and it's just words on a page and we never think about, you know, what what this really means or what it was really like to be in this in this scenario. Yeah, that's why I was kind of thinking when I started uh, really looking at the text, it was, you know, one of those things where I, I wanted to make sure that we saw the other side of that story clearly. Usually it's the woman caught in adultery. It could have just as easily, I said yesterday, been titled, you know, the men caught in self-righteousness, <laughs> um, because that that is the other side of what was occurring there. Um, and so it, it ought to make us gentler. It ought to make us more compassionate. It ought to make us um, see the, the hopelessness and the hurting that's around us and, and, and see that, you know, if we're bringing the feet of Jesus, uh, he's the one that can change things. He's the one that can fix things. And praise God, that woman, uh, you know, what they intended for evil, God used for good mm. in her life. And he does that over and over and over again. So it's just, it's, it's great. Yeah. I, I love when you mentioned that, you know, our, our condemnation, uh, you know, of others around us, it's, it's often absent understanding what someone is actually going through, not, not to excuse their sin. Like it, 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 you know, understanding where someone is coming from, understanding the hurt that's in their life that has caused them to, to be in this place where, uh, where, you know, they, they need, you know, forgiveness, they need compassion, they need people to offer them, uh, grace and to point them to Christ. You know, it doesn't excuse their sin, but it helps us like understand why we ought to be compassionate with them. And I, I think sometimes that's, that's probably, you know, our detriment is that we are just, we, we never stop to put ourselves in someone else's shoes or to understand or even ask, you know, because it makes us uncomfortable. We never stop to just go like, rather than to say, you're, you're clearly doing something that is sinful. That that's, that's our, that's the easiest way out for us is to just be like, you need Jesus, like repent, like you're clearly doing something that is sinful but to just stop and to say like, how did this happen? How did you end up here? Help me understand. Like, I want to understand you as a person and I want to love you and I want to care for you. And I, you know, I want to point you to Christ, but that starts with actually having a heart for people and being compassionate for them. Like, why is that such a, why is that such a challenge for us? Well, I think number one, you know, the gospel and, and discipleship is messy. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the bottom of it, 
you know, if you're going to see change in a person's life, it's going to be because you invest in them, because you desire to know them. You want to take them from where they are to where they need to be. And that doesn't just happen because you tell them what to do. You know, we said yesterday that, you know, the law is a horrible motivator. Um, just telling them they're wrong, just telling them they're sinful isn't going to help them get from where they are to where they need to be. Uh, there are many people that have so much hurt, so much baggage, so mm. much going on in the in their life that, that we don't know about until we ask them questions, until we have them in our living room, until we start sharing life with them, that we start to understand their background, how they got where they are, and, and then you can deal with that. That's one of the things I love about what Rita uh, is bringing along with her team with some of the counseling mm. that we're doing here at Hepsiba. There is a reality that for some people to take the next steps, even in their discipleship, is to deal in some ways with the past and how they got where they are. And uh, all of this works together. And so it, it's a time-consuming thing to say, I'm going to make disciples, uh, and my intention is to do that on Sunday mornings from you know 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, that's, that's an impossibility. Mm -hmm. If all we do is what we do here on Sundays, uh, we're not going to be effective. We're not going to grow the kingdom. There's nothing actually that's going to occur uh, that's meaningful and, and fruit that will last mm -hmm. until we see that, no, we've got to get outside of Sunday, and we got to live life day by day, moment by moment, uh, walking with these people um, and, and then walking with us because it's not even what others need. That's obviously the wrong attitude as well, but even for myself... Mm -hmm. What do I need? What are the things that are hindering me? What in my past, what in what's going on around me today is keeping me from fulfilling what God has for me? Uh, all of us need someone helping us and discipling us and, and, and seeking to know us in a way that is going to result in fruitfulness. Yeah, I think, I think it really gives us a, a better, a more holistic picture, maybe is a better way to say it, of, of the gospel. Because I think, you know, if we're followers of Christ, like, we would be quick to say, yeah, we know that the gospel changes lives. Like it, ch it changed my life. Like I can look at my own life and say, yes, I, it is It is very clearly different and it's not anything of my own doing. And I know that Christ has changed me and transformed me. I think sometimes we forget that the gospel can do the same thing for other people. And mm -hmm. the, I, you know, if I, one of the things I think about a lot is like, what keeps people from really engaging in the messiness? What keeps people from uh, being willing to to get in there and hear somebody's story and to and, and to deal with maybe things that are uncomfortable and to walk with people? And I th I think some of it is that for a lot of people and like the statistics say it's it's like ninety six percent of Christians. Um, they, they never actually get in someone's life to watch the gospel transform someone else other than themselves. Uh, and and I think we we've kind of missed the boat. It, well, you know, of course, according to Christ's commands, we've missed the boat. But I think for us spiritually, we're, we're depriving ourselves when we don't really realize the power that's in the gospel because we've never jumped into the mess with somebody else and watched it change them. We've never gotten that close uh, to really see, oh, wow, like I, I understand what this person is thinking. Like I, I, I understand their motivations, and I'm watching as Christ transforms their their minds. For most of us, the default is they'll never change anyways. I think right. I think if we're not careful, that's our starting point. Yeah, we we're full at, of assumptions about other people. Yeah, we, we look at people and, and we think to ourselves, you know, uh, they'll never change, or else I think the other thing that we do so many times is we look at people and we always see them as their worst moment mm. and, and they're on their worst day. 
and we wonder why people don't want to come be part of church and why they may not want to be part of a community of believers is because there are many, many, many times that uh, we, we stop walking with people when they disappoint us. We stop walking with people when they hurt us. We stop walking with people when they're not meeting our expectations, and forever we see them that way, mm-hmm. and, and we fail to see what they can be. We fail to see what Christ can do, and we got to remember that the gospel is powerful, mm-hmm. right? It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, and salvation isn't just that moment of being saved, but salvation is our sanctification, right? It is the ability to to become more and more like Christ because of the Spirit that is within us and because of the work that is happening through His Word, and we can't give up on people, and we can't just see people in their worst moment on their worst day. Yeah, and 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 it's not... I don't think it happens in the masses either. Like, I think that's the other thing is, like, we tend to lump discipleship into the masses, but it's such a... Even in Christ's example, it's such a personal thing. You know, there was... 12 that he spent most of his time with and three that he spent even more of his time with. And, you know, was there times like we've recently read in John where, you know, he fed the 5,000 or taught large groups of people, you know, uh, like we're just looking at in John chapter seven and, and, and now in eight, like, yes, those things did happen, but most of his time was spent with a, a very few people. And the same thing is true of his disciples as he sent them out. And I think part of the other, uh, just, I think misleading misconception that we have in our mind is that discipleship is something that happens on mass. And that's why we sanitize it. That's why we try to make it into something that is, you know, always, you know, uh, clean cut. And we want to see these things happen and these things happen. And really it's like, it is getting into life with people and getting into the mess with them and walking with them and caring for them and being compassionate, uh, with them. Like we see Jesus doing with, with this woman. Yeah, I think it's why COVID was so dangerous. It wasn't the disease itself that I think was the biggest threat. It was the isolation that it brought and people beginning to depend on, you know, church in a way that we thought, well, we can just sit and watch it and it'll be just as good if we sit in our pajamas and just, you know, have church uh, on Sunday watching a television screen. Um, yeah, I'm doing the, the same things, right? I'm hearing yeah. the same sermon. I'm singing the same songs, right? It's got to be the same. Yeah, what, what a... Uh, what a lie. What a lie. What a, what a, a strange look at discipleship to think that we could continue on that kind of, because people were saying back then, wow, this may be the future of the church. And I'm thinking, God help us if it is, <laughs> because you're not going to be able to disciple yeah. that way. And it's not going to be effective. And it's not what God intended for the church. Yeah. I love, you know, and I think just a, a, two thoughts to end on one, you know, I, I wanted to be sure to talk about this for just a second, because I love the, the Jeremiah seventeen thirteen quote, and I had to go back and, and fact check that with you. So just for, for all transparency, I had to ask him about uh, about that before we started this because I had never thought about that. I, you know, obviously I've read Jeremiah, uh, you know, a few times, and I just never had made the connection. Uh, and I'm not sure I didn't I was I wasn't in the second service. I know you mentioned this in the first service. Uh, so Jeremiah seventeen thirteen says, uh, "O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord." the fountain of living water. And um, I just, when when you shared that, I just, I couldn't help but see the connection between this exact passage of Scripture, right? Like he had just finished saying, I am the living water. And then the very next day, you know, you know, probably the thing that's most memorable to people about this passage is that he's down there writing in the dirt and, and we don't know what he wrote. Um, and, 
and then and you connected the two like tell tell me about like what your like what your thought process was in in sharing that like what do you hope people get out of recognizing that uh that you know there's so much prophecy you know in the old testament that Jesus fulfilled in the in the new testament yeah i mean obviously let me start by saying we cannot know exactly sure. what he wrote and i right. think i said that several times yesterday but i think there's you know i think there is that element of as we look at the scripture because as we dove into chapter 7 um, that last section that I taught on, we we went to Jeremiah 17. Mm. We we read through there and talked about how they recognized that he was the Messiah. They recognized that he was the Son of God, and that's what he was claiming because of what the Old Testament taught. And it wasn't lost on them uh, his comment and his claim that he was the fountain of living uh, water. And so uh, I just obviously studying those two texts together the week before. Um, I, it just became obvious to me that, you know, you can see the foreshadowing of what was coming on the eighth chapter where here's Jesus writing in the dirt of the earth, (laughs) something, we don't know what it is, um, as the claim is made that he's the fountain of living water, that they've rejected him. And, and so you've got this scenario where it's like, wow, how can you miss that connection? Now, can I say hundred percent, it was their names that he was writing in the earth I cannot, um, but I think it makes a lot of sense when you try to understand what they would have been thinking, what they would have been seeing. These men knew the scripture. These men knew the prophecies, and it would not shock me at all if he was writing their names and they were recollecting exactly that as as he was uh, teaching and, and speaking. And we all know as well that there's always so much to these stories in the Gospels. We get abbreviated versions of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't get all of it. You know, John said, listen, if we had everything that uh, could be told about Jesus. Fill all the books in the world. Fill all the books in the world. And so it just, as you fill in those gaps, it's one of the things I love about movies that, that share Jesus's life. Even, you know, whatever you think about or don't like or like The Chosen, there's something that The Chosen does that it brings those stories to life and it helps us piece together backgrounds and make us, you know, take the, the, the story that seems kind of flat on the page. Yeah. That doesn't have a lot of depth, and it adds depth. It's not trying to change the truth of that story. It's not trying to change the meaning of that story. It's just giving us a look at what things may have been like in the hearts and lives of those people, and it makes them real. And so um, I think that's the thing about Scripture is is you've got to see how it all connects and how it all ties together. And to me, that was just an obvious connection uh, between what we see in Jeremiah and what we see in John 8. Yeah, I think it's such a good reason to... To, to read your Bible on your own, like to spend time studying the whole thing and not just, you know, parts, not just parts that you're reading as part of a Bible study or a connect group lesson or because of Sunday morning, but spend time reading your your whole Bible. And the more that you do that, the more that you'll see that there there are connections all over the place and it's not grasping at straws. It's, it's like, you know, I think this is just one that is, is so obvious. Like when you read it and you've read both things, you know, you go, okay, like these are clearly connected, and I think sometimes we miss that because we're not spending time on our own personally studying everything that God has to say. Yeah, if you want to let the Bible come alive, and if you want to see why it's so trustworthy, read it and recognize that you've got books that were written over thousands of years by so many different authors, yet they tell the same story, and they point the same direction. I mean, it's incredible. There's never, ever been anything written like the scripture that has been inspired by God that tells this story, his story of how he's going to save the world. 
So I, I always, I don't know, we're a little over on time, but I always like to send us out on, you know, on a missional uh, idea. And, and to me, you know, as I was thinking about just how that story ends in John chapter eight and Jesus saying, you know, where are the people that condemn you? And they're, and they're all gone. And he says, neither, neither do I go and sin no more. And it, it struck me that, you know, Jesus, Jesus in that moment, he met every biblical obligation and every obligation like that he set before the crowd to actually be the one who could have, have stoned her. If, if there was anybody in the crowd that, that met the criteria that was intimately acquainted with her circumstances, that was a witness to everything that had gone on, that was perfectly righteous, that was, you know, according to the challenge he threw down before the Pharisees, you know, whichever one of you is without sin. Well, he was the only one in that, in that area that was without sin. He is the only one that is without sin. He could have in, in, in all righteousness, in all justice, picked up a stone and, and thrown it. And instead he chooses not to condemn her. He chooses to forgive her and he chooses to tell her to go and to sin no more. How, how ought that to impact how we treat other people? How ought that to impact how we live out discipleship? Well, number one, it shows you the heart of God. Hmm. I mean, that, that's probably the most staggering thing is we think to ourselves, how would God respond if he were standing here? If he, well, there it is. <laughs> There's God in the flesh standing there and to see that kind of love, that kind of compassion, um, how can we do anything else but run to the hurting? Um, you know, as we look around us, there are going to be so many that could have been thrown down at the feet of Jesus the way this woman was, and we've got to go find them. I mean, that's the thing is there's an urgency hmm. to go because there are ruined lives all around us. I can guarantee you that this woman was miserable in her sin. We know hmm. what it's like. Uh, to be bound up in sin. We know what this would have been doing to her, to her family, to the families of those men, whoever they were, that, that she had been sleeping with. We can know that everything was just carnage in the wake of the choices that she was making. And that's a pretty good description of the world today. Mm. You look around, and we talk about throwing a stone. Pick up a rock and throw it. You're going to find a person very close to you that needs hope, that needs the gospel, um, it's whether or not you're going to make the time. It's whether or not you're going to slow down in your day and see, does it, should it take a self-righteous Pharisee to come and drag them and throw them in front of us for us to recognize someone like her? The reality is, as we're walking, that's the thing about Jesus, is as he was going, he continually saw these people. And not only did he see them, but they knew he would love them. They knew he would forgive them. They knew he could heal them, and they were coming to him. Is, is that who we are in this community? that people know he knows Christ. There's where I can find hope. There's where I can find truth. There's where I can find uh, someone who will love me and minister to me and share Jesus with me. And uh, I, I pray that's who we are. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love, and I've mentioned it a lot of times, but, you know, that Megan routinely reminds us, you know, from a missional perspective in the in the whole world, like we, we can't care about what we don't know about. But the same thing is true about our neighbors. Like we can't, compassionately care about the things that we don't know about. If we hold them at a distance, if we never engage in their lives, if there's no reason for them to even come knocking on our door to seek out help, 
how are we ever going to, how are we ever going to care about them? We, we don't know what's going on in their life. And so I think, you know, that's, that's the challenge to to you guys that are listening. Like we, we have got to engage the world that's around us. Is it going to be messy? Yeah, it is. Is it, is it going to be full of things that, you know, have heartache to them and, and pain and disappointment? Are there going to be people that are, that are not going to receive this message? Yes, there are. Um, but we, that's, that is the cost of discipling people is, is all of the things that go with that. And we got to be willing to, uh, to count the cost and decide that it is worth it. So this, this has been HBC's M5 podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe and tune in next week, but until then, don't forget that extra M go and make disciples right where you guys are at. 